This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would illuminate it afresh by your Holy Spirit to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the next four weeks, we will be focusing on the appointed readings from the New Testament letter of James. And this is a wonderful letter. Clear, concise, intensely practical, inspiring, and very challenging. As we engage with this scripture on Sunday mornings and in our community groups, I want to charge you to listen for and be open to what God might be saying to you through his word. James is all about how we live life. Do our actions match our words? And this morning, I want to start by setting this letter in its context. Had we read the very first couple of verses of chapter 1, we would have seen that the letter is addressed to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, or in other words, to the church throughout the world. And that language of 12 tribes is, of course, reminiscent of the 12 tribes of Israel. In the Old Testament, the 12 tribes became scattered and were sent into exile. But in Jesus, God reconstitutes Israel as he calls 12 disciples. And at the very end of the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, St. John has this vision of a new heavenly city and the walls of the new Jerusalem have 12 foundations and on the foundations are the names of the 12 apostles. And so I want you to see there is this great continuity in the Bible, in this overarching narrative of God calling out a people to be a light to the nations, of God reaching out again and again to set people free from the slavery of sin so that they might live life as God's called them to live it as a people who are welcomed, loved, forgiven, and empowered for service to the world. And it's this life of those who are blessed to be a blessing, who are called to a life of love and service as our duty and our joy that St. James is writing about in this epistle. But I want us to understand the fully appreciate this wider context of James's teaching. And so I'm going to take a very brief look at our other two passages this morning as well. Our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah is a passage that speaks to us when we have a sense of longing for things to be different, things to be complete and restored. You know, I, I think it's part of our human condition that we are hard wired to have a sense of yearning for more, yearning for justice, yearning for things that are broken to be fixed. 
And God tells the prophet Isaiah to say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. And Isaiah speaks of a coming day, a day of vengeance, a day when God will put the world quite literally to rights, when there will be retribution against the enemies of God's people. And remember, this prophecy was given to a people in exile. They're wistfully longing for home, for release from captivity. And Isaiah speaks of them as blind, deaf, lame, and mute. And they can't see where God is or what he's doing. The way ahead seems so very hard. They have no power to fix this for themselves. Only God can save them. And yet, had we read just three more verses, we would have found this great promise uh, back in that chapter of Isaiah 35. A promise of coming joy, that God himself will rescue, will hear their prayers, will answer their longing. And in Isaiah 35, 10, you can read, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And for us who hear those words, perhaps familiar to many today, we know how that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. He has redeemed us. He has ransomed us. He has made it possible for us to be restored in a right relationship with God himself. So when we feel tired or weary, let us be encouraged by God's promises and the hope we have in Jesus. Oftentimes we may feel like the Israelites of old, exiles, longing for home. We long for God to come to us again and and open blind eyes and deaf ears and closed hearts that all may see and hear and know that God has not forgotten us. And of course, that's exactly what we see Jesus doing in his ministry. You may remember St. Luke uh, gives us that account of near the start of Jesus' ministry. He goes to the synagogue. They bring him the scroll. It's unread. He reads it. Uh, again from Isaiah, a little bit later on, and says, today, this is fulfilled in your presence, in Jesus. And those words were, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in our gospel reading this morning, we get an example of how Jesus actually did that. Some people bring this man to him who's deaf, and they ask Jesus to do something. And so Jesus lays his hands on him. He he, uh, puts his fingers into the man's ear. He spits and touches the man's tongue. He looks up to heaven and says to the man, Ephatha, which means be opened. And immediately, the man can hear and speak. And interestingly, this passage goes on to say that Jesus then said, um, don't tell anyone. Why would he do that? I mean, this is fantastic what's just happened. Why say don't tell anyone? And doesn't Jesus want people to know who he is? Well, he does. And indeed, one of the last things Jesus says is tell everybody, tell the whole world. 
But at that moment, Jesus had not fulfilled what he'd come to do. He was on his way to the cross. He was on his way to his ultimate work and his mission. And he didn't want anything to derail that. And he didn't want people just running after the miracles. He wanted them to know Jesus himself. But of course, the good news of the kingdom spread like wildfire anyway. Although Jesus told them not to tell anyone, they all did. And you know, good news is like that. You just, you just can't keep it to yourself. You have to tell someone. And, and when you encounter someone whose life has been healed or transformed, they've experienced God's forgiveness and love, then that one typically is unstoppable in exuding the radiance of God because they've experienced something. And that brings us right back to James. Because this is what James is wanting for us, that we would be people who our very lives would exude the love and joy and action of God in our lives. Being a Christian should make a difference in how we live. Verse 17, James reminds us what God's done for us. God the Father is the giver of abundant blessings. And in fulfillment of the prophet uh, Isaiah and the promises that God gave, God gave us Jesus, the one who is life and the one who is truth. And then James says, he has this odd phrase, he says, we are to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And first fruits were the first harvest of a new crop, the best and the choicest. And in the Old Testament, they were to be offered back to God as a symbol of how everything belongs to God. So literally, they'd gather in the harvest, and then they'd bring the first, the best, the top slice would be presented to God. A reminder that God is faithful. A reminder that God keeps his promises. And a reminder, as they give of their best, that all of it belongs to God. Well, here, and by the way, we often talk about that when we're talking about the stewardship of our time or our money, and and that's right and good. But here, James uses that analogy in relation to our everyday, ordinary lives. They are to be a kind of first fruits, that our lives would be a foretaste to the world of God's transforming love. So clearly, says James, how you live matters. And James exhorts us to speak and act as those who are to be judged according to the law of liberty. And this law of liberty is about how we are to live as people who have been liberated, who've been set free. Right actions, authentic Christian living, these are not the things that set us free. They don't make us free but rather the purpose for which we have been set free. You see the difference? We don't earn our freedom by being good, but having been set free and given the freedom from God, then we live our lives accordingly. And so James wants us as Christian people to live our lives in the light of who we are. Ransomed, restored, forgiven people brought out of exile, 
given a hope and a future. And so this law of liberty is not freedom to do what I like, when I like, how I like, but rather freedom to live as God calls me to live as his beloved son or beloved daughter. The freedom to act as and live as part of the royal family of God. Freedom from the slavery of sin. And then James spells this out in very, very practical ways. Verse 19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. He's not teaching us civics 101 or a basic manners course. He's talking about the state of our souls. And words are powerful. He's talking about righteousness and defilement of salvation and judgment and the power of God's word. He's talking about true religion as opposed to just the trappings, the outward sign of religion. And he's talking about the state of our hearts. And so James is concerned that we not deceive ourselves, that we not be lulled into a false sense of of righteousness, of self-righteousness. That's all talk and no action. A form of religion that consists merely of outward practices but leaves us on the inside polluted, morally bankrupt, lost, lonely, or empty. So how do we do this? How can we know real faith and not just a counterfeit faith? Well, as is the case with so many things, actions speak louder than words. And so James tells us, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Mere intellectual assent is not enough. Head knowledge is not enough. James writes, verse 21, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. Rid yourselves of that and instead welcome the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. I think, sadly, when it comes to how we live our lives as followers of Jesus, we can too easily settle for something less than this eradication that James is talking about. So we don't actually get rid of all wickedness. We, we, we keep some. And, and you know, the, the language of ridding ourselves of rank, sordidness, wickedness, I mean, it sounds a bit archaic, a bit dramatic, perhaps. Well, it is dramatic. It's meant to be. It's real and blunt and powerful. I think another danger that sometimes we have as Christians is that we think we can somehow compartmentalize our lives. So, you know, there's the who I am at home and who I am at work or who I am at church or who I am at school. And we think that it's okay to have like, well, here's who I am in public and here's who I am in private. Well, James wants us to know that that's not okay. There should be no disconnect between who we are when we gather here on a Sunday morning and we hear and read scripture and we sing hymns together and we come to the Lord's table together. There should be no disconnect between that and who we are in the week when we make decisions about 
business, or relationships, or money, or work. So let me ask you this. Is there continuity between how you live each day and how you present yourself this morning? You see, James says that if there's any discontinuity between what we hear and what we do, well, that, we're liars. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. It is possible to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're basically decent Christian people when actually all we've done is attend a service, listened a bit, reflected a little, maybe agreed with some of what the preacher said, but nothing's changed on the inside. Nothing changes tomorrow morning when you go back to that difficult situation. Now, I hope you, I want you to hear this. I'm not saying this to try and make everybody feel bad or feel guilty, but merely to ask the question, what difference does all this make in your life? What difference does it really make? How different are we as Christians from good, decent people around us who are not Christians? And if you want some more focus, let's take the focus James gives us. How different are we in how we listen, in how we speak? and in what we do with our anger. James doesn't pull any punches. Verse 26, If any think they're religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. We're living in a time when I think it's especially hard to bridle our tongues. Because for us today, the cacophony of tweets and texts and messages and posts, well, it's just relentless. And so many of these things are toxic. What would James say to you in how you respond? Are you bridling your tongue? Or are you, to mix metaphors, adding gasoline to the flames? And you see, the thing is, James reminds us, the problem with just mouthing off on social media or around the water cooler or anywhere else is that our anger does not produce God's righteousness. It doesn't. And he goes on to say, in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Which, of course, is so very, very difficult to do. Now, let me add this. I don't believe that God's word to us this morning is, you all better just try harder to be, you know, talk less, listen more, be slow to anger. No. I think, by the way, there's nothing wrong with trying harder. There's more to it. I think God wants us to be honest. We know that. And to offer up to him the things that 
we struggle with in our lives matching what we do to what we believe. And so I think if, like me, you're quick to speak, then you can offer that to God and you can ask for his help. If, like I used to, thank God I don't now, but I used to have a temper, then you need to bring that to the Lord too. Um, and you can offer to the Lord your frustrations, your longings, all those yearnings that we saw in the Old Testament. Yes, absolutely, pour your heart out to him. And there are things we can do proactively. We're to turn away from the sin that crouches at our door. And we're to welcome instead, with meekness, the implanted word that has the power to save our souls. So where does this leave us? Is this something that we can do or only God could do? Well, let's be absolutely clear. God is the only one who's able to cleanse us from the stain of sin. We can't do that. Never, ever. That is something that only he can do. But we do have a say in whether we will submit daily our wills to his will. We do have a choice about whether we will be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You don't always have to have the last word. And we're not automatons without free will. Every single day we face choices about whether we will rid ourselves of those things that pull us away from God or whether we'll hold on to them. Let us not be like the person that James describes who looks at themselves in a mirror and on going away immediately forgets what they look like. But rather, and this is the contrast, rather as those who look into God's perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of life and freedom, and who persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, and so be blessed in their doing. This word has power to save our souls. It's the word that we find in Scripture. It's the word we find in God's perfect law. It's the word we find in the word made flesh, in Jesus. And so I think the challenge to us is to take a good, honest look in the mirror. And and I know that can be uncomfortable, but but let, let me say this. I think part of looking in the mirror honestly is to be able to see ourselves as God sees us. Which is, as a man or woman who is deeply loved and infinitely precious in his sight. So, see yourself as God sees you and don't forget that. And then we go out to live our lives. Then perhaps we can have a fresh vision of how we're called to live in the light of that image. Actually, it's the image of God. We're made in the image of God. And we're called to be like those first fruits, to be light in the darkness, to be a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven, to be people who are doers of the word and not merely hearers. Well, I'm nearly done, but before I finish, I want to return to that wonderful encounter of Jesus with the the guy who was deaf. You see, our ears, our eyes, our hearts, our words, our actions, all need to be open to Jesus. And 
We need our ways to be conformed to his way. Jesus said to the man who was brought in front of him, Ephatha. And perhaps he would say the same thing to you this morning. Ephatha, be opened. Let your heart be opened to God. Invite the Holy Spirit to shine the light of his truth into your heart. Be open to God releasing you from whatever may be frightening you or stopping you or holding you back from being the person that God calls you to be. Ephatha, be opened. Let your ears be open today to hear God's words of love. His words of invitation, of forgiveness of your sin. An invitation to trust him, to obey him. Ephatha, be opened. Let your eyes be open to see the opportunities that God may be setting before you in our church, in your workplace, in your home, in the world. What does he want you to see? Who are the orphans and widows in your life for you to care for? Who is it that needs to experience a word of kindness or love from you? Who is it that you might invite into your home? Ephatha, be opened. Let your mouth be opened to share the good news of God with your neighbor. You know, tragically, there are some people who live their whole lives closed up, not daring to be open to the Spirit of God, not risking vulnerability with God, choosing to be closed to the Holy Spirit. Let's not be like that. In Jesus' day, when they learned what was going on, when they saw the good things that he did, they were amazed. He's done everything well, they said. Well, today, Jesus is still in the business of doing everything well. He's utterly trustworthy. And when we consider the mercy and grace and forgiveness that we've been shown, we can humbly give thanks that he has done everything well. And so as we look forward to the days ahead, we don't know what they hold, but we look forward knowing that our lives are in the hands of the one who does everything well. Hear his voice again this morning to you. Ephatha, be opened. Amen.